Good morning. Today we are reading in 3 John um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 15. That's on page 593 in the Blue Bibles. Um, I'd like to remind you that if you don't have a Bible and you need one, feel free to take one of the Bibles in the backs of the seats. They're our gift to you. And that's 3 John 1, 1 through 15 on page 593. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Thus says God's word. Thank you, Danae. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand before you, before your word, and we just ask you to bless it to our hearts right now, Lord, to make the necessary modifications in the way we think, the way we believe, the way we act. Lord, that your word would be powerful in us. God, we know that this will not happen by our best intentions or our most diligent effort. It will only happen as you give the grace for your word to change us, Lord God. So we pray that that grace would be here and be in abundance today, Lord. We pray that we would not hear uh, as an act of of, a, of some sort of spectator sport, but God, that we would we would feast upon your word and upon your truth today, and let it do its work within us. Father, I ask for help, particularly as I bring the word. I pray that you would overcome all of my sin, all of my weakness, all of my insecurity, all of my wavering, Lord, and that you would make me an effective vessel to preach and proclaim your word in a way that ultimately brings glory to you. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I don't think I would surprise anybody with the conclusion that we have come to the end of one of the toughest years any of us can remember. Anybody want to fight me on that this morning? Hardest years any of us can remember. I am not willing to take a position that this is the toughest year in human history, but I would almost bet you that this is the toughest year, at least corporately, that any of us can remember. 
in addition to what we talk about so often, dominates our speech, this worldwide pandemic, COVID-19, that's brought death and despair and sickness and isolation. The global economy is in shambles. In America, we have a disputed election, and that has resulted in a polarized populace, and our cities are crumbling before our very eyes with crime and racial division. And so naturally, it's, it's a natural, not surprising to anybody impulse that I would want to preach the last Sunday message of the year and bring it to you as a message of hope. But I'm standing here today, I, I just referenced in my prayer my own insecurities, and I'm standing here with this great realization, can I promise you that 2021 will in any way be an improvement over 2020. And sadly, I cannot. I have no idea what's, you know, in store for us. Rewind your brain to 12 months ago. What did you think about the year 2020? The exciting third decade of the new millennium, all of the hope and all of the things that it would be filled with. And we were wrong, weren't we? <laughs> the year turned out to be much different than we thought. I can't, I can't promise you that 2021 is going to be in, any better. Disease almost certainly in one form or another will continue. Violence may in some areas continue to prevail in our streets. The government will continue to be riddled with corruption. So what reason do you and I have at all for any hope? Having gone through a year like that, going into another year with all the uncertainty that that change certainly, certainly uh, makes allowances for. And yet I'm telling you this morning, as I stand before you, that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are called throughout Scripture, regardless of their circumstances, to rest in hope. Now think about that. Regardless of COVID, regardless of, of racial you know, despair and injustice, in spite of, of criminal activity and governmental corruption, Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus, are called throughout Scripture to rest in hope. Now, you may hear that and you think, big deal. But what I'm trying to explain to you is that the hope that we're called to is not a hope that is mere wishful thinking. Like when you hope that everything turns out okay. Like you're blowing on a candle at a birthday cake. That's not what the hope that the Bible calls us to is like. Our hope is a confident assurance in the supremacy of Jesus Christ over every single circumstance. Over all people, over all places, over all things, and over every second of every time in all of our lives. Over all these things, I am here to proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is supreme. He holds supremacy over it all. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah calls his readers the prisoners of hope. Now, no one wants to be prisoner, but if you're going to be locked up in anything, what a great blessing it is to be locked up in hope. 
In the New Testament, Paul often points his readers several times in the New Testament to three essential godly values. Faith, love, and what's the third one? Hope. He calls us to these things. The writer of Hebrews calls God's promise to us and his oath on his own good name to be our hope. Hebrews 6, 9 says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And his point is that in Jesus Christ, you and I have confidence to stand justified before God without fear of judgment. And that is the essence of our hope. It's not in some situation being better. It's not in some government reality. It's, it, our hope is in the fact that we have been accepted, as the Bible says, into the beloved of God. That is the basis of our hope. So no matter what awaits us in 2021, faith in and love for Jesus Christ should captivate us in hope. We too, as Zechariah said, should become prisoners of hope. It should anchor us in anticipation of a better reality that awaits us. Now pause right there. Pastor David preached about this last week. I want you to make a good confession this morning. Do you believe... If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, that a better reality awaits you. You have no concept, I have no concept, of the brevity of this hard life. It could be over in an instant. It could last several more decades. But in in comparison to the eternity of blessed reality that awaits us, it is nothing It doesn't even register on the map. We will be forever in the presence, the face-to-face presence of of the lover of our soul, Jesus. This is nothing. We should be captivated in hope. It should anchor us in anticipation of this better reality that awaits us, either at death or at Christ's return. Hope in Jesus should compel us daily and boldly into God's presence to know His power and to experience joyful fellowship with Him. And this, all of this, is the basis of John's well wishes that begin in in his third letter. If you ever want to, you know, give somebody a, a you know, a, maybe a one-upmanship of, you know, what happened in your church versus their church, you can go tell all your friends tomorrow that your pastor preached through an entire book of the Bible this morning. It'll make me sound really impressive. And that, so we have this tiny little book, this letter of John's, his third letter, and he's writing, as the, as the greeting indicates, to a friend of his named Gaius. Now, we don't know anything about Gaius. We have no historical record of him. There are a lot of uh, theories about who he is. Some people have speculated that he is a pastor or leader of a church that John had great influence over. Uh, but we don't know that. We don't know exactly who he is. But in this greeting, he says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now listen, what is John doing there? He's putting the priority on the health of Gaius's soul 
and saying that he hopes that all the circumstances of Gaius's life will fall into alignment with the health of his soul. Now, why is that important? Because think about the way you think about life, the way I think about life. We hope that someday everything will be, you know, just coming up roses and that, and that our soul might actually eventually get in line with that. Where the biblical author is saying here that, that, that the, the health of our soul is the most important thing and that, that hopefully by the grace of God, some other things will come in alignment with the, with the health of our soul. What he's saying is that the health of your soul is the principal thing. It's the most important thing. I cannot promise a 2020, that's a 2021 rather, that's better than 2020, but I wish the same for all of you. I long for your soul's highest benefit. It is my greatest desire for you. And I wish that your entire life will be as blessed as your spiritual life, provided that your spiritual life is the most blessed thing about you. Often Christians, you've seen it, I don't even have to tell you this. Often Christians, people that claim to love Jesus Christ, take combative stances. They disagree very disagreeably, if I can say it like that, with people who take different positions on theology and and who struggle with different sins. Your sin is worse than my sin because it's not my sin. That's kind of the attitude we take. And they even are often unloving or even unkind to those who are outside of Christ, the very people we should never be unkind to. But believers in Christ should call to mind, as soon as we meet another believer in Jesus, we should call to mind all that unites us as opposed to the tiny little minor points on which we disagree or the diverse ways in which we struggle. We should desire and pray for the welfare of all who share a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Peter says. We've forgotten way too often, with incredible frequency, that the message that we proclaim week in and week out is good news. We we think that it's just like a list of religious requirements or some ticket to heaven that we are earning slowly and surely, but that is not the message of the gospel at all. The message of the gospel is to be proclaimed. It is to be believed. It is to be embraced as one and one thing only, as good news. If you tell me this morning that I have to, by my righteous works, earn my way into heaven, that is not good news. Because I know how infrequently I am found doing righteous works. Is there anybody in this room that would agree with me? Anybody online that would agree with me? That wouldn't be good news at all. But it's good news. The gospel is good news because it's a message that says that God will forgive the unforgivable. Man, you ought to be able to breathe easier after I said that. You can go through your catalog of everything in your Heart, everything in your mind, everything in your soul that you would not want God to find. And I would stand here this morning and declare to you with the authority of Scripture that God is a God who forgives the absolutely unforgivable. It's not just that He forgives the unforgivable. He does this based only on faith. Only those, only for those who would dare to believe what I'm telling you this morning. 
He never forgives on the fragility of our good works. Never. And we should never forget that we are called to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does that mean? To adorn something means to wear it before unbelievers in such a way to display its beauty. I have never met a woman who buys an incredibly gorgeous sequined evening gown and puts it on to go out on a night on the town and throws a trench coat over it. And that's how most of us, in some way or another, wear the gospel. We've been adorned in the beauty that grace provides, in in what was purchased for our beauty by the shed blood of Jesus. And for fear of the judgment of others, for our desire, overwhelming desire to be accepted, we just put on an overcoat, a trench coat, and hide the beauty of the gospel. And so people don't see the good news. They may see our religion, but not our gospel. They may see our church, but not our gospel. They may hear about our preacher, but not our gospel. And we are called to adorn the gospel, to make it beautiful. When we scream at people who don't believe like we do, who don't believe at all, when we post insults and and cruel memes, that rarely displays or adorns the beauty of the gospel. Can I get an amen, please? By contrast... John says to his friend Gaius, I want your outward circumstances in this life to be as prosperous as your soul already is in Christ Jesus. What a marvelous blessing. What if you truly approached every friend and every enemy in your life with whom you have contact in such a sentiment in the coming year? I want what's very best for you. And only as your soul prospers. I want your soul to prosper so everything else in your life can prosper. How attractive would that make the gospel, the good news of God, to appear? With that in mind, I want to use the text of Third John to catalog a list of all that I am praying for you to experience in the coming year. If my first hope for you is that you would adorn the gospel in your speech and loving actions in the new year, my second hope is that you would increase in your love for, your embrace of God's holy word. Listen to what John writes to this church. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now John mentions the impact of gospel truth Three times in two verses. Pretty serious about truth, wouldn't you say? And and how do we know when he says the truth that he's talking about um, about the gospel, about the message of the cross, about the contents of the Bible? The reason we know that that's what he means when he refers to truth is because he puts these words in Jesus in his gospel. In the gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus is praying in the garden and he says to his father, sanctify them in your Truth, And then he makes this clear statement, your word is truth. So clearly he's talking about the word. John mentions this gospel three times in two verses. First, he mentions the people have come to him, the people whose names are not listed here, reporting that Gaius is identified with truth. Now, please promise me you won't rush over that. 
Gaius is identified with truth. He's literally personified by it. You can't separate in the eyes of these people who are testifying about him where the truth ends and Gaius begins. So much so that they came testifying to, watch this, his truth. Look back on the passage. It says that they were testifying of his truth. Are you so immersed in and connected with the Bible that people identify Scripture as your truth? Think about that. They, they didn't say that's something that Gaius's church teaches or a, a creed that, that Gaius has subscribed to. They said he's walking in his truth. It was part of him. Or is for you, is it something outside of you, a mere religious position that you've adopted and not a guiding light that is intrinsic to your identity? This was not the case with Gaius. John's second truth statement says that. He pointed out that indeed Gaius was walking in the truth. What does that mean? It means that truth wasn't just words he mentally assented to, like I said, a, a creed he subscribed to. Scripture was a life altering reality for him. It was changing the very trajectory of his life. Do not tell people to join you Sunday morning for church if you cannot demonstrate a life that is being changed by what's being preached here. I'm not saying that to be cruel or or you know, uh, condescending to you. I'm saying that the truth that we proclaim has so much capacity to change our life. Let it change your life and then go out and you won't be able to be quiet about what happens in this place. For John, this embrace of truth on the behalf of Gaius was cause for great joy. He says he rejoiced greatly to hear others report about Gaius's integrity. He even says that he has no greater joy than to hear that his children, a very intimate word that he has for his disciples, that, to hear that they are walking in truth. The greatest moments for me as a pastor, without a doubt, have been when people have had the gospel light come on. And you see it in their face. When you hear it in their words, the light comes on and they go, oh, so many people that call this place home have told me stories from like the time that they first heard the gospel and, and, and the Holy Spirit called them to the gospel and they believed and they received. Others have been entrapped in false doctrines and lies for years and then they hear the pure and adulterated gospel and it literally, it's like a new, new salvation for them to hear it as the, the Bible intended. I love seeing people when they say, by Jove, I think they've got it. <laughs> I love that, especially when the Holy Spirit calls them to the truth of saving grace. The joy is indescribable when people not only believe, but walk out that belief in a life of obedience to Christ. So my prayer for you is that in 2021, you will take the Bible more seriously than ever before, and that you'll find ways to dive into it feet First, expanding two things, your knowledge of the contents of Scripture and also your application of Scripture to your own life. Just 
two quick plugs. I've mentioned the announcement for several weeks. We've provided out in the in the foyer in our, in our track rack out there. We've provided a checkoff list for a Bible reading plan that will enable you very easily to read through the Bible in 2021. And we'd also like to invite you to participate in the Simeon Trust, which is a a class that we're going to begin that helps you to really understand and interpret the Bible more faithfully and deeply than you probably ever have before. And so if you're interested in any of those things, talk to me after the service. Let's look at the next thing. Next verse, it says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. He's referencing there the people that had come and talked about Gaius's truth. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So in 2021, another thing that I'm praying is I'm praying that you see the beauty of greater sacrifice for others in 2021. The place where Gaius was serving, whether it was a church that he led or a church he was a part of, was clearly a place marked by generosity. It didn't seem that Gaius, because of the words here of John, ever just popped in an occasional donation or was just merely tipping God because that's what good Christians do. John describes his giving as effort. Did you notice that? He says in all your efforts. He says that there's some labor, there's some, there's some intentionality in his giving. It wasn't an impersonal check that Gaius wrote out to get the preacher off his back, but what he gave was marked by his love for others. Every gift was dripping with love. John encouraged Gaius to give to others in a manner worthy of God. Can I be honest with you? That phrase extracted straight from Scripture convicts the heck out of me. Is it okay to say that? It convicts the heck out of me to give in a manner worthy of God. This means in a manner that would please God and in a manner that brings God glory. Let me make it clear what John is saying here. God hates stinginess. Man, you could hear a pen drop in here. God hates stinginess. Can I give you one proof of that? Just one. When it came to saving you, the God in his infinite power could have done with a word. How did he choose to save you? By bankrupting heaven with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. God hates stinginess. And it's not because he needs your stuff or because the church needs your stuff, but because it shows what you are trusting in. Are you trusting in your money, your stuff, or are you trusting in his provision? If we really believe, think about this. If I'm wrong, call me on it. But if we really believed God to be loving and generous, nothing would keep us from having a lifestyle of giving. Grasping Money and stuff with ever-whitening knuckles is an accusation against God's goodness. You might as well tell God He can't provide for you. He's not enough for you than to deny the generosity that He calls you to. And the question next is, does your giving result in praise? I can't illustrate this better than 
the story that Jesus told, the parable of the of the distribution of the talents, these these you know uh, amounts of money that he gave out, that the the man in, in Jesus' story gave out, and expected a return from those who he gave. One he gave, you know, five and three and one in one version of the story, and and what happens is when he comes back, the the two with the most that were given are have been faithful. They've given a return to Jesus and, and or to the master in the story who represents Jesus to the master and the master rewards them greatly. And then he comes to the last guy. And this is what we read. The last guy says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So he's approaching the master, God, with just fearfulness. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Hey, I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose it. It's not gone. I just didn't do anything with it. Here you go. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Now, this is not telling you to go take your tithe money and put it in the stock market. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that God has invested in you energy, time, and yes, even money, And our idea is to put those at work in the kingdom, to thrust those into the kingdom. And when we do, I'm telling you, I've seen it a thousand times in my own life and the lives of others. When people do that, guess what God does? He blesses them with more. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, and blesses them with more. But this man didn't do what, 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 uh, with even the smallest amount that God had given him. And so my prayer for you is not not to make anybody here feel guilty, but to call you to something bigger, more hope. My my prayer for you is that your faith would increase and your grip loosen on your stuff in 2021. And that applies, obviously, what you give here, but that's not my main concern. I'm, I'm hoping that some of you hear this and through the power of the Holy Spirit are convicted to live a life of generosity even more than many of you are already doing. Some of you are great about that. But to take what you've been given and distribute it freely to those who need it, especially in a year like this where there's so many people that are in need. So John points out that when we support faithful ministries financially, we're actually counted as fellow workers with them. That is a sobering thought. And will be regarded as such in the last day. Our gifts are a key part of reaching the world for Jesus. So when people are rewarded for their faithful work on the mission field and you gave financially to that, guess what? You're going to be included in that reward. You are fellow workers, partners with them in the gospel. Okay, next thing. Next thing I pray for you in 2021 is that you'll discern those false teachers who present something less than the gospel to you. Is this a big deal? You bet it's a big deal. Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven preach, you, preach to you any other gospel than the one you've received, let him be eternally accursed. Now, I don't want to offend anybody's sensitivities here, but what Paul is saying, if anybody messes with the gospel, they can go to hell, is what he's saying. His words, not mine. Look it up for yourself. Galatians chapter 1, that is exactly what he's saying. The gospel matters. The purity of the gospel matters. 
And there's a person like this, this false teacher named Diotrephes, who was found to be troubling Gaius's church. This is what John says. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to, who want to, and puts them out of the church. So this Diotrephes seems to be hell-bent on spreading slander and keeping the church from demonstrating love to others. John says that this was an active rejection of the apostolic authority that John carried, Paul carried, Peter carried, the rest of the, the apostles carried on Diotrephes' part. He was just rejecting it out of hand. And by rejecting the authority that Christ had installed, he was rejecting Christ's authority as well. Christ's authority is revealed to us in the scriptures. If we reject or edit or subject the scriptures to our own opinions or give ear to those who do that, we reject the authority of Jesus Christ. And we should not do that. And we should not tolerate those who do that. Romans 16 makes this clear. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. And here's his counsel. Avoid them. Don't befriend them. Don't listen to them. Don't give them an audience. Avoid them. Next, I pray that you would grow in your pursuit of personal holiness in 2021. John says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Hebrews 12 tells us that without holiness, we have no hope of ever seeing the Lord. Holiness doesn't save us. I am not saying do good work so that you'll be saved. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am clearly saying, hopefully clearly, is that growth in holiness, growing in your personal holiness, reflecting the image of of Christ and and, uh, and, and becoming you know, conformed to the words of Scripture, growing in holiness is the outward evidence that we have, in fact, been saved, even if it doesn't in and of itself save us. Is that clear to everybody? It's not a matter of, i got to do good stuff so I'll be saved. It's just like, if I'm really saved, there's no avoiding me doing good stuff. Does that make sense? Are you... If that's true, and if you believe what I just said, my question to you is, are you chasing after holiness to please the Lord? How do you show love to others? How do you show devotion to God? What habits have you allowed to fester that you know would displease God? Have you neglected God's word? Have you neglected his church? Have you neglected the sweet fellowship of prayer? Well, be careful if you've done all those things and have called yourself a faithful Christian because the Bible says, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And so again, my prayer for 2021 is that it would be the year that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I put to death all that is fleshly, all that is worldly in us, and that we are conformed to the image of the Son of God. Y'all still with me? Next, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. 
And we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. What does that have to do with you in 2021? This is it. I pray that in 2021, that you have a reputation of genuine faith, of genuine service among everyone who knows you in this church and outside of it. Proverbs 22.1 kind of makes the point. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Some people, I talked about the combative stance some Christians take. Some people think that they're, they're doing God a favor by the more people they offend. Well, there should be not a single thing offensive about us except for the gospel that we preach. Can I get an amen? shouldn't be anything offensive about us. We should be the most kind, gentle, generous, you know, sacrificial, loving, you know, faith-filled, hope-filled people in the world and let the gospel that we do proclaiming that we proclaim do all the offending. Trust me, if you preach it right, it's going to offend. A good name is rather to be chosen though. So how often have we seen people claiming to belong to God bring shame upon his great name? From the sexually immoral pastor to the pride-filled braggart who sits in the, in the sanctuary, many who claim membership in Christ's body are exposed as liars by their actions. What a blessing to be among those who cherish and defend the honor of God's name, even through their imperfection. All right, we're going to take a quick poll. If you are imperfect, raise your hand as high as you can raise it. Okay, I say this all the time, but I've got to raise two because I'm not quite getting the message across about my imperfection with just one hand. The Bible, even though we're, we're, we're imperfect, the Bible calls us to defend the honor of God's name, even through our imperfection. You know how we do it through imperfection? We do it by humility. The Bible speaks of rewards which the people that defend the honor of God's name will receive, but which will result in praise as they, according to Revelation 4, toss those golden crowns at the feet of the only one who's worthy to receive them. That's what we're after. One last thing. I pray that as, or I pray that you will rather appreciate and desire the face-to-face fellowship of the body of Christ more than ever in 2021. 2020 was a hard year of isolation. Many of you watching uh, by Facebook, and I'm so glad we have the technology to do that. We have not seen you face-to-face, you know, in, in church with us, uh, you know, for since March in many cases. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, that is not to make any of you feel guilty. You have to do what you have to do to be safe. But we miss you. We miss you so much. We love you. We long for you. We long for the day when this scourge is lifted from our land and we can look you face to face in the fellowship of the believers again. And so I hope that as you're enduring the the remaining days of this trial, that your longing for the body is actually increasing and not decreasing. It has been a hard year of isolation, but we can never forget that God placed us in a church to help us and to comfort us as we walk together on our heavenward journey. And I'm telling you, I mean this from the bottom of my soul, there is no other people I could imagine 
that I would enjoy going to heaven with more than with the people in this room and, on, and online right now. I love you deeply, and, and I'm so glad that we're in this family together. John had this same longing. He said, I would much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Listen to all the times he uses the word friends. Though necessity guides his pen, he prefers to see those he loves face to face. Though necessity has many of you on Facebook right now, I long to see you face to face. He wishes them peace. I love that he refers to the separated parties as friends whose very name, who every one of their names is precious to him. And this is the question I have for all of you, wherever you are. Is this the way you feel about the people at church? Seriously, ask yourself that. Or are they just people that go to the same religious gathering places you do semi-regularly? Or are they people that you long to be with, that long to, to march on to heaven with? The body of Christ should be so much more precious to us because, listen carefully, this is not a club. This is not a social organization. It isn't a Lions Club or the Rotary Club or anything like that. There's nothing on the face of the planet like the church of the living God. It is an eternal family where when one of you rejoices, we all rejoice. When one of you weeps, we all weep. And never forget, I said this to Eddie in the service a few weeks ago, but never forget that the family that you make here will not be your family till you die. They will be your family for all eternity. That's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you are a lot younger than I am. Some of you are a lot older. But nothing, not even death, is going to separate us from the fellowship that we have with each other right now. We're going to have it forever and ever and ever. Now, you may not be that excited to have fellowship with me for eternity, but I'm really excited about it with you. So there it is, my seven prayers of hope for you in the coming year. And I pray, if I can be a little bit, you know, demanding, I pray that you'll pray these same things for me this year. And I pray that we'll be praying for each other as we face whatever lies ahead of us together, and none of us knows what that is. Would you stand with me? For the last time of this unforgettable year, we are going to receive the elements of the Lord's table together. And so I'm going to invite you to come if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus. If you're not, don't come. Um, It's not because we're trying to restrict you. We just want to save you from something that will have absolutely no meaning for you. Um, For some of us, this is life-giving food. For others of us who don't know the Lord Jesus, it's just a snack. And so you can get a snack anywhere. And so, um, But if you are part of that family that we talked about, part of the the family of God that that, uh, recognizes that you are eternally bound, not only to one another, but to Christ Jesus himself, then I want to invite you to partake of these elements representing his body and blood. You can come and receive the elements, and then we'll take them together once you've all received. I I refer to what I said at the very beginning, that 
My hope is not in a new government. My hope is not in, you know, a medical advance. My hope is not, you know, in any other type of thing, situation, circumstance that I can describe for you. Oh, yeah, I want my circumstances to be better. So do you. No no shame in that. But if they get great or if they get worse, my hope will not be shaken because it's in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus that is represented by these elements. Jesus is my hope. Can you say that? Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. So today, as we think about this year, and we take this communion together, I want you to take it with a heart filled, overflowing with gratitude that the Lord Jesus sustained you through 2020. You lived to tell the the story. His grace has been overflowing and abundant to you. Can you testify to that? That he has provided everything you need for life and godliness by his son, Jesus Christ. And so let's, you know, when you, when you lay out a feast, when there's something to celebrate, and you know why we do this every week? Because in Jesus Christ, there's always something to celebrate. Amen? So let's, let's read our words of institution, and then we'll take this together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, night, that, uh, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. If you would, just place your hands in the receiving position. I want to read this benediction over you, and it is the summation of everything else I've said this morning and my prayer for you as the people of God this year, at the close of this year. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. You're dismissed.